This is where Luke takes him. This is where Luke begins. He begins in these announcements. The announcement, first of all, of the birth of the forerunner. The forerunner of the Christ. The announcement of the birth of the Christ. The Savior, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, we begin to see, as it were, the responses to that which is taking place. Responses to those announcements. It begins with a visit. We are told, as far as the time is concerned, it is in those days. Some of your versions may use the expression, so Mary hurried off. And even in the, that, that certainly leads us to, to the conclusion, well, she didn't wait around for a long period of time to make this visit. She hurried off. And it is included as well in that expression, in those days. Not in those months, but in those days. In a short period of time. Mary, soon, quickly, perhaps even we could say right after, left Nazareth to go to see this sign that the angel had just told her about. For as we go back into Chapter 1, we learn that the angel Gabriel had told her, as a sign to you, Elizabeth, your relative, is going to also have a child. She who is barren with God, nothing is impossible. And Mary hurries off. Secondly, the place. We are told, where did Mary go? Well, she went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah. For Luke, that's pretty nondescript, isn't it? We know Luke has been in this first chapter giving a lot of precision. Here, however, note, it's pretty generic, isn't it? She hurried with haste, where? Into the hill country, to a town in Judah. We don't even have the town's name. And we ought to appreciate that. Why? Because it means Luke isn't making it up. If Luke doesn't have the information, if Luke doesn't have the eyewitnesses, if Luke doesn't have the right location, he's not going to name it. He's not going to make it up. And so even though he has this desire to be as specific as possible as he can about the coming of Jesus Christ into this world so that his acquaintance Theophilus might know in an orderly account all that has happened. He might know the whole story of the coming of Jesus Christ into this world. Yet, he's not going to make it up. If he doesn't know, he doesn't wing it. If he he is unsure, he doesn't include it. Perhaps even there is a good reminder to us as we deal with individuals who may be seeking, who may be trying to come to an understanding of the faith. They know a little bit about God, but they don't know everything, and they come to us with questions. Perhaps rather than making it up on the fly, we're better off 
just admitting we do not know the answer to that. All we can give is that which we have been given, and we cannot go beyond what God has given to us. Luke cannot go beyond what the Holy Spirit reveals to him. And so she goes, where? To the hill country, to a town in Judah. But what we do know is this. If she goes to Judah, we know that from Nazareth to Judah, particularly to the hill country, it's a journey of between 50 to 60 miles. And doesn't that just raise a whole bunch of questions for you? It certainly does for me. Did she tell anybody she was going? We never read that Mary had any parents that she was living with. If she did, how did she explain this? I'm going to go see Elizabeth. How, how did she do this? And how was she allowed to go on her own? And where's Joseph? Is she just allowed to go? We're not told. That information is not given to us. It raises questions to be sure. How does a young woman of the age that Mary is, probably in her early teens, make a journey of 50 to 60 miles without others accompanying her? It's not told us. Doesn't mean it couldn't have been. But we're just left with it. She was willing to travel that extent in whatever circumstances that meant for her, in whatever language she had to use to, to as it were, get out of Nazareth, she is willing to do so. To go and see the sign that the angel has told her about. Not out of unbelief, but out of belief. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said. That way we know, you see, that Mary isn't coming because i got to see this sign just to see if it's true. No, she is coming because she believes that it's true. She believes the truth. And so she is willing to do this journey in all the circumstances it may have involved. Thirdly, where does she go? Well, she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And it's interesting, isn't it? The only person who speaks is Elizabeth. Why? Anybody remember? Zechariah can't speak, can he? John the Baptist has not yet been born. That has not yet taken place. So Zechariah is still unable. But there is something else going on, isn't there? When is this? This is in the sixth month. Remember what I told you about the, the time of Zechariah's service in the temple came twice a year? Would it not be likely that it occurs about every six months? Because look at the passage. She enters Zechariah's home but greets Elizabeth. Where's Zechariah? Probably back on duty. Speechless as he is, most likely, given the arrangement of how these priestly orders work, back on duty, that's why it's his home, but she's only talking 
to Elizabeth. This is where she goes. How close are relatives? The angel just told us back in verse 36, your relative Elizabeth. There is some interesting things here, though, because we know that Mary is of the tribe of Judah, and Elizabeth is of the tribe of Levi. Most commentators believe Elizabeth is her relative, but most likely by marriage in some way, that there is some section in the back there, some crossover that has led to this circumstance, meaning that they are probably not close relatives in, in terms of bloodline, but still a relative nonetheless. This is where she goes for the visit. This is where Mary, who has just been told by an angel that she is going to conceive and give birth to a son, call his name Jesus. She has just been told that this will occur by the power of the Most High, that the Holy Spirit will overshadow her. This will not occur. Her pregnancy will not occur in the normal means. She journeys all this way to see a distant relative who she has been told is also pregnant. What happens? Well, note the responses. We have two. We have the response, first of all, of Elizabeth, and then we're given a response of John as well, aren't we? First of all, note Elizabeth's response. And the first thing Luke wants to tell us is that the response of Elizabeth is because she is filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not revealed to her by ordinary means. It isn't like Mary walked in the room and Elizabeth goes, Wow, most blessed are you amongst women. Boy, I can see that. Boy, I can tell that. Man, there's a halo around your head. You must be part almost like God. When I look at you, no, her response, blessed are you amongst women and blessed is the fruit of your womb, is only because she is filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not by observation. This is not by Mary's character. This is not because Mary glows or she has some sort of smile that's somewhat mysterious. This is because the Holy Spirit has opened Elizabeth's heart, soul, mind, and eye to know the truth about the fruit of Mary's womb. That you have to note, first of all. Secondly, note that she understands that Mary has been blessed. Blessed are you among women. To be blessed means that it comes from somewhere else. It does not arise from within. See, if you really examine the word, you get an understanding of how wrong the view 
of elevating Mary really is. To consider her unique? Absolutely. To consider her blessed? Yes. But the blessing is not from within herself. The blessing is because she has been blessed. Blessed are you. When someone says to you, and I I know that that some of you respond this way, somebody says to you, you know, how you doing? And you respond, I'm blessed more than I deserve. You do not mean by that, I am so good, I am so wonderful, my life is just a blessing to everybody around me. You mean by that, God has come into my life, God has given me grace, God has given me the Holy Spirit, God's good providences have shined upon me. It is God. When Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, says, blessed are you amongst women, it is a recognition that God, in his grace and mercy, has come and done something wonderful in the womb of Mary. She recognizes this. She recognizes the child. The blessedness of the fruit of that womb. That the child is what this is really all about. That the child is the one who is truly the gift and the blessing. It's a recognition of humility. Right? Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She's humbled by this. Humbled by what? By Mary? No, by the blessedness of God. By the gift of God. By the fruit of the womb. She's humbled by this aspect. But it's also a recognition that praise is due. Verse 42. Filled with the Holy Spirit, she exclaimed with a loud cry. There's a couple of things going on, isn't there? Number one, it's interesting. She's the one who believed the message that was brought to her about having a child. Her mouth is not closed. Her mouth is open. Zechariah, the doubter, has a closed mouth. He cannot do this, but she can do so. It's also interesting that, remember, she had gone and hid. Okay? That, that there was this quietness, this hiding. Now she's exclaiming with a loud voice. Why? Because she understands that she is in the presence of the Emmanuel. The fruit of Mary's womb. But there is another response, isn't there? And that's the response of John. Verse 44. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to me, the baby, that's John, in my womb leaped for joy. Now, as I said a few minutes ago, Elizabeth is about six months pregnant, six months plus, maybe a little bit. It would not be uncommon, would it, 
for a child to begin making movement. Those of you who have carried children understand that, that that's a very likely thing. But most of that movement seems to come at pretty strange times and you can't really pin down the exact why unless you've been eating Mexican food. Okay? But the, there's the movement, yes, but it doesn't really seem to be coordinated. John's it. John's is a movement of purpose. John's is a movement of knowledge. John's is a movement of understanding. The baby inside me leaped for joy. The baby didn't just move randomly. Something took place in the heart, in the soul, in the being of John in the womb. And look what our society does to those children today. If there is but one verse that perhaps we as who stand for right to life could at least hold on to and retain, here it is. The child in the womb leaped purposefully. We may not understand the reason for the movement of that child in your wounds. But there is reason. There is purpose. John does so because of the announcement of the coming. And he is joyful that the Savior is coming. Even as a baby in the womb. Is that not an expression of faith? Is that not an expression of belief? Is that not the work of the Holy Spirit in the womb? Would anyone say at this point, I'm doubtful of John's spiritual condition? Would someone say, well, we haven't heard John profess his faith yet, so we don't know. We better wait until he, he gets a little bit older. Better not say he's a believer yet until those words come out of his mouth. Or would we look at this and say, by his very reaction, as a six-month-old in the womb of his mother, leaping for joy at the announcement of the coming of Jesus Christ, not an assumption, but God-given words. Through who? Through who? Who is Luke? Who would be the one person that might dispute all of this? Who would be the one person who would say, you're taking this way too far, Pastor Bob? Would it not be a doctor? With all his scientific knowledge and evidence. But what does the doctor say? The doctor tells you that the child in the womb leaped for joy because of the announcement 
of Christ. My friends, there is nothing too impossible for God. Nothing. What a glorious passage of reassurance and of hope that many of you can hold on to this morning. You've lost that six-month-old faith. Yet, capable of being filled with the Holy Spirit, leaping for joy, at Christ. Well, thirdly, that brings us to Mary's song. Appropriately named. Notice, however, it's Mary said. In other versions, it's and Mary's words. We call it a song because it comes to us in a poetic form. The way in which these verses are set aside in your scriptures are for a reason. They're not printed the way the rest of the chapter was, is it? It's printed differently. Why? Because the text is different. The text indicates to us it is, it is poetry. It, it, it is in the form of, of a Hebrew or Aramaic poem that it's coming to us. Given to us, however, in Greek at this particular time, but following that pattern. So it's a poem. Is a poem a song? One could say that. Okay? But it's not like she's singing it. That, those words aren't there. And Mary said, or Mary spoke. It isn't Mary sang. But yet, the words that come out, in the beauty of the words that are expressed, in the form of the words that come to us, certainly could be understood as a song. And we call it, the name we give to this, is the Magnificat. Appropriately named. That's a good name to call these verses. You might say, well, why do you say that, Pastor Bob? Because the word that is used here means to declare the greatness of another. My soul magnifies the Lord. Now, folks, we can't make God any bigger than he is. We can't make God any greater than he is. Right? We, we, you know, God is great. God is amazing. Right? But the idea of my soul magnifies the Lord is the fact that, that Mary's desire here is to let us see the greatness of God in our eyes, may we see how great God is. May we see how amazing God is. May we see how exalted God is. May we, as the word means, enlarge God, not in his being, but may we enlarge him to others. May others see through our words, through our testimony, through our poems, through our psalms, through our hymns, through our carols, how great our God is, appropriately named. My soul magnifies the Lord. 
I have the desire, Mary is saying, of making others see the greatness and the glory of God. Eighteen references. Eighteen references in these verses to God. There will only be five about her. Just look at the proportions. Eighteen about God, five about her, and we'll break down the five in just a minute. But the emphasis of all of these verses is, folks, look at God. Look at the Lord. Look at how great He is. Look at how wonderful He is. Don't look at me. Don't exalt me. Don't magnify me. Look at Him. Look at what He's done. It's as if Mary is calling and saying, here, look in this microscope and see how great God really is. Don't look at me standing here. Look through that eyepiece and see how amazing God truly is. My soul magnifies the Lord. Turn back with me to 1 Samuel. Chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. Jewish children were educated in the truths of the Old Testament. It would be often true that they would learn words spoken before. Not just the Psalms, but words that had been uttered on previous occasions. It's interesting, when I look at verse 45, Elizabeth says, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. There was somebody else in Scripture who came to the Lord and asked the Lord for a child. And the Lord granted her that child. Her name was Hannah. And when that child is given, listen to these words. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have feet ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and, the Lord, and makes rich. He brings low and exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and to inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful one, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. 
The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Words spoken by Hannah generations and generations ago. Yet words that Mary knew. Words that Mary is familiar with. The truth of God's word uttered centuries ago. Now. Now, upon this occasion, she opens her mouth and the words of magnifying, of exalting the Lord, of declaring His greatness like Hannah of old, burst from her mouth. What a beautiful anthem of praise this is. It is a song well-named. Secondly, they are words of true humility. As I said, there are five references to Mary. Two of the times that she references herself, it's in praise of the Lord. Two of the times she mentions herself, it's because she's humbled by what the Lord is doing. And only once does she mention her blessedness. But that is the direct result of the Lord's work. For now, behold, verse 48, from now on all generations will call me blessed. Why is she blessed? Because somebody else gave her a blessing. The point is this. This song is not about Mary. This song is about the Lord. We as human beings always want to make things about us. Oh, how we are guilty of this. I saw a sign the other day, and, and I understand the background of it. I understand that there is truth in this. But I just want you to stop and think. Here's the message of Christmas, right? He came down that we might go to heaven. Who's the emphasis on? It's us. See, Christmas is really all about us. It's really all about us being saved. It's really all about us being loved. Why did Jesus Christ state he came to this world? He came to glorify the Father. See, Christmas isn't really about us. Christmas is about glorifying the Father. My soul magnifies the Lord. Glory to God in the highest. Oh yes, we're recipients of that. The glory that God receives is through our salvation of those that Christ dies for, that are redeemed, that yes, go to heaven. But that's not the first thing it's about. The first thing is what Mary got right. It's about the Lord. And any references she has to herself are in a sense to deflect it back to the Lord. No, I don't want any praise. I don't want any glory. I don't want any notoriety. I don't want any statues. I want God to be magnified. I want the Lord to be praised. 
I don't want people praying to me. I want people exalting him. These are the words of a humble believer who knows it really isn't about her. It's really about the Lord. My friends, I'd encourage you this Christmas, don't make it about you. Oh, that's the side, yes. We don't want to forget that. But don't make it the main focus of the next 10 days. And don't make it the main focus of the remainder of your life. Make it as Mary directs us in humility to the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. Words of spiritual depth. He is Savior. He is holy. He is mighty. He is merciful. He is strong. He is just. He is the provider. He is the helper. Words of great comfort. How does she end? How does she end? He spoke he spoke he spoke in the past to Abraham he gave us all of these promises now here we stand at the pivot of history and it's happening the promises are being fulfilled and he will speak forever book of hebrews chapter one in former days god spoke by the prophets but now he has spoken to us most clearly oh has god spoken to us clearly in the gift of his son here is the love and grace and mercy of god clearly spoken to you and I in his son. Oh, the comfort to be found through the fruit of Mary's womb. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your word, for its reminder to us in this morning hour of who you are, of how majestic you are, and how glorious you are in visiting us with the gift of your Son. Help us, Lord, to look past self, to glorify and magnify you. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.